Hello, beautiful people. This is Callie coming from her living room where she never leaves because we are in week 1523 of lockdown and curfew. I'm, I'm just joking. I just went for a run. Honestly, my life is not that hard, not that difficult. However, I'm here to discuss something that I very rarely talk about. Ooh, look at that mystery. I'm about to break that mystery and uh, I figured, you know, what other uh, platform is better for my deep and darkest secrets than the one that nobody listens to, right? So here we go. This morning I did an interesting, I am not going to call it a breakthrough in my therapy session. And the reason I think many people would call it a breakthrough is because as my therapist says, she has never seen me cry until today, so you're welcome. You have broken through my tear ducts and therefore, I suppose, moving me up to level four of therapy. I don't really know how they work. Didn't feel like I got a medal, but alas. Anyway, the reason my therapist has pointed out my lack of emotion when I'm talking about my emotions is because she's concerned that I am disconnected from them. And therefore, if I cry, as in if I react on the spot to something that I haven't taken the time to distance myself enough that I will protect myself from what I am feeling in that moment. Now, she is not pushing me to be clear. She is not saying that you are only successful if you cry. Um, I think that's very important. But as I explained, the feeling of disconnect once I have moved past, okay, I understand why I was feeling what I was feeling. Here's the explanation here. It becomes very um, analytical as opposed to just connected and in the, and it happens often. It's by the time I've, I've explained it to friends or by the time I've, even when I'm talking about it like this, uh, by the time this is happening, I have gone through the motions, I have done the what I believe is the proper work, and I've completely distanced myself from, from the feeling that may or may not hurt me and is scary and I just don't want to deal with it. So something happens in the process where I convince myself I've done it very healthily and I've done it very well, and then, you know, lo and behold, something else that is similar comes up and I react again. So, obviously, poorly done by my part. There is such a thing as bulldozing your own feelings, even if you think you're giving them space and time. And I believe I've spoken about that before. And I wonder if there's anyone on here that probably identifies with that. I'm sure many people, but I'm also sure not many people listen to this. So, we'll see. Anyway, one of the things that prompted the L water workos was this is that's embarrassing because I can actually speak Spanish so whatever that was um was you know the day old Callie when did this start that you explain your feelings rather than feel them <laughs> I will bring you down this uh a uh, very interesting rabbit hole that is, um, you know, a chicken and an egg story of when and where did it happen. I know very early on, my, my dad has told me, uh, he likes to say this often, that when I moved to Portugal, I didn't speak until I was 
more fluent in Portuguese because I was afraid I, people would make fun of me, as they did. I moved to Portugal when I was about to turn seven. I don't remember much of my life before uh, we moved because it was such a monumental move. I do remember visiting Canada after. I do remember that suddenly there was a shift from uh, Woodstock where I always, I, I, so I always figure Woodstock is home um, because I was born there and then I moved and it was horrible. So therefore the safe space was before I was seven uh, was Canada. But then whenever I came back every year, I was, you know, put into a classroom to see my friends and they'd be like, Callie's here from Portugal, ask her any questions. So I was already, I was sort of put on display in Canada when I got back here and I was certainly put on display in Portugal. My sisters and I, we looked quite different, uh, very blonde, very light eyed, very foreign on a small island. And there was this constant idea of I am out of place. And unfortunately, that just continued. That continued for my entire childhood. Uh, you know, I didn't fit in looks-wise. I didn't fit in maybe a little bit mentality-wise. And even if I wanted to, I was told constantly how much I didn't fit in. And at the time, uh, when I was younger, I was extremely emotional and very easily hurt and sensitive and I cried a lot a lot like all the time and you know I cried to the point that every time my face clearly demonstrated I was about to cry someone who loved me or didn't would utter the phrase are you gonna cry we've all heard it the answer was always yes mind you well it was no but then I would cry so you know it was always not very convincing. I was, you know, I was made as a constant reminder, I didn't fit in. And I don't know where at what point I decided I didn't want to anymore. I'm hoping that was a healthy mechanism. It was kind of taking control over it. But really, I just wanted to be left alone. Um, and that definitely became something that followed me is if you're not going to be nice, can you at the very least just leave me alone? Um, and, and you know, people never did. And that's, so my experience with people has been that they hurt you. I can't trust them. And as much as I have many amazing, incredible people in my life, it took me a very long time to understand or to trust that they wouldn't leave and um i don't see them the same way i don't have i don't have the same it, there's not the same impact pain feels more real than happiness and so there's more weight to it so i prefer to be alone and when not alone when i'm with my incredible and amazing friends i prefer to spend the time helping them and it makes me feel like i'm paying them back for being my friend uh, because growing up, if I paid for people's lunches, if I paid, if I bought them clothes, if I bought them stuff, they would hang out with me. And if I didn't, they didn't. So, it's fine, you know? I don't talk about it often, 
I don't talk about how I came from what felt like privilege, but none of it helped me. So it's very hard for me to recognize that it, it, well, I recognize it now, but it took me a very long time to recognize how privileged I was because it didn't feel like it was helping me. I think that's a constant thing for a lot of people and it's, it's really on people's minds is um, how am I privileged if I'm still in pain? Um, I don't really talk about how after years of this and I finally got to move back to Canada, I ran for it. I was 17. I went to the first acceptance to, thankfully, my dream program. And um, I didn't want to look back, but my family, the people I love the most were there. And some great friends, don't get me wrong. Uh, as much as I have a very hard time connecting with the fact that there were good people, there were. Um, but there were a lot of bad things. There were a lot of bad memories. A lot of bad feelings. And um, a lot of displacement. And because of that, when I moved back to Canada, I wasn't Canadian anymore. I was someone that grew up elsewhere. But all I had was uh, my Canadian citizenship. Uh, you know, what am I? The, the constant question. Where am I from? What do I do? Uh, I pick. I, I, I have an accent on purpose so people will know that I'm not from here because I didn't live the life of those who, who lived here. I was always very jealous of it. I always wondered what it would like to go home. Um, small town, Canada. You know, have everyone know your name. <laughs> and I go back to Portugal where I grew up. People speak English to me because the they don't remember that I'm the person that went to high school with them. They think I'm a foreigner visiting. I don't have home. Um, luckily, what you end up learning is home are people. Is You make people your home. My parents are my home and my sisters are my home and subsequently their partners, Joao and Jerome, they're my home and whether they understand it, the importance or not, uh, they are. And, uh, you know, whenever I lose someone incredibly important, it is because of all that weight that's been put on. However, it's been brought to my attention that in not wanting to burden people, in not wanting to talk about this, I don't let anybody in. So naturally, what I felt was tell everyone before. <laughs> it's uh, safer. It's why I go to therapy. I can pay somebody to listen to me. I don't feel bad. Or as bad. Believe me, the struggle of not asking my therapist how she's doing and trying to listen to her is intense. But it's not just for... I don't do it just to help. So it's not completely uh, benevolent. It's because it distracts and distances. I don't know where I stopped trusting in people because I think what happened was I wanted to. And I think that's, that's what makes you retract uh, a lot quicker and, and, and even you burrow yourself down even further. Um, I've gotten extremely good at making it seem like everything's okay. It doesn't bother me. I like that. I like it because people think I am. I like it because I can believe that. 
but also I get frustrated when no one asks and it's you know so it's 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 twofold it's you don't realize the things that have broken you until you you literally start to break them down and make them digestible and and try to figure out what it is that I'm a very controlled person you know my therapist is not the first person that has said I've not seen you react I've not felt connected to you I've not you didn't react like a normal person you didn't break down and cry at this age because obviously I did it a lot (laughs) way back when um I think that's a common thing you know when you see people apologizing a lot it's because they've been told to shut up a lot when you see people you know you you pick up all these patterns on people very quickly I'm not abnormal uh, but at the same time, I I really try to move away from my from me being on display if it's not at my own control. So I obviously post on social media, and like I'm I'm comfortable with who I am as long as it's something that I can can control. Um, however, leaving it open to trust and interpretation is not really my forte. That's why I talk a lot because it's why I have a podcast in case you want to know uh you know from me because I grew up in a place that was a rumor mill and if they wanted to find things to say about you they would and if I could tell you stories if it wasn't that I hated the story so much I would they almost fake they almost feel made up because they're just too much I'm not hard done by. Uh, I don't want pity from it. I think I fit into a box that says I've never been hurt before and that's more comfortable for me. It it will mean people won't ask. Uh, hopefully they don't think that I see them as less because of it. Understanding my privilege in spite of never having felt that privilege protected me uh, from the biggest pain that I had growing up, which was not fitting in. My privilege made me stick out more. And it also... So my privilege was my parents are together, they love me, they want to be with around us. My sisters and I are very close. We had... Uh, we were well off. Um, I could buy friendship, but I couldn't buy us into high society. They had those clubs. We weren't allowed. We were foreign. I can't connect to people who have been discriminated against because I'm white and well off and I I don't want to pretend I know that struggle. I can't connect to people that grew up in Canada that um, knew who they were or knew they were always Canadian, at least. I can't connect to people that I can't connect to my own family because when push came to shove and documentation came in, my citizenship was denied and the rest of my family had theirs. So I don't think, I don't think they'll ever understand what it feels like to hear them say that they're half Portuguese. 
when I am not. And I call it home, but it never was. It was because of them, but it never was. And, you know, it's normal. I hear all the time, you don't look Portuguese. I'm not. But I'm fluid in the language. I grew up there. Half of my life was spent there. What does that mean? I think eventually I'll get older and more of my life will have been spent here and it will balance out. But over half of my life has been away from Canada, away from the only home that people seem to accept. Um, I hear often I don't look like where I'm from. I don't sound like where I'm from. And on its own, those comments would be just very normal. But they didn't used to be nice. They didn't used to mean something neutral. They meant fingers pointed and attention drawn that I didn't want. And I did very well in English. And if I did very well in my English classes, it's because I was Canadian. And if I did very well in Portuguese, it was because I was overstepping to the Portuguese and making them look bad. And it was never good. And whether people try to tell me or not that my experience wasn't that bad, whether people who have forgotten try to tell me and justify, uh, there's a problem. It's not been dealt with. At one point I decided I was home and other people were just allowed to visit. Visitors don't get the same privileges. I know they won't stay. So, why make room? And um, I know I'm not alone for feeling that. I just happen to have a very clear explanation as to why. I didn't speak for months because I was afraid I would sound stupid. And then when I spoke, People told me I was still foreign. I would never, ever, ever be able to be like them. I was taller, I was paler, I was blonder. I was a lot of things more or less. And none of it felt good. They were just reasons to not be them. And when I moved back... And I moved back to Quebec. So you have a problem with the French and the English as well? I mean, people like to say, no, you're just from Ontario. And sure, if they'll have me. <laughs> There's a French expression that I always liked, um, which was, it's... De paysman, and it's one without country. 
and it means more. It's more like uh, dislocated or or repatriated or it is exactly one without country. Um, I'm very lucky to have to be Canadian, to have the Canadian. I'm very, I'm, I'm actually very protective of it. Um, when I lived in Ireland, I was the Canadian. I was never the Portuguese. When I lived in Holland, uh, the Dutch last name. So I actually probably didn't, I didn't realize how much I felt slightly at home until I realized so many people were different than me. They have a very different approach to life than I do. Uh, but the name, the height, I was in Germany and I don't think I've ever felt like I looked more like people. You know, I've had this conversation in regards to seeing yourself on TV, seeing yourself represented. And the reason I can connect to that idea is because when you walk around where you live and nobody looks like you, all you can hope for is that nobody else notices. Unfortunately, they did. So everything, every time someone says, oh, woe is me, it must suck to be a tall blonde. It did. It really did. These things that other people think are great, I don't connect to. It took me a very long time to take compliments because I was afraid if I got a compliment, someone else would want to rebuke it would want to f say no she isn't and I was just like I don't care which one it is guys just, just leave me alone um, I know my younger sister feels this way that attention drawn to it uh, it was not seen as positive and again it's a different it's a, it's a very different perspective from there are all these positives from being someone who's moved around a lot uh you know, you're accepting to others, you're open to new things, you've 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 met different people, different lots of life. It doesn't always come in return. Um this time when I cried to my therapist, I was embarrassed. God. That makes me angry because I tell everyone that crying is so healthy and it's a way to express yourself and just do it if you need to, just get it out. But when I do it, it's that I can't get my shit together. I never wanted to let the country take more from me, but I can't. My favorite people live there. The house I grew up in is there. My parents are selling the house. I know everyone's sad. I know I'm supposed to be sad. But all I can think about is I'll be so happy to have one fewer thing holding on.
I love that house. I love my dogs. Because of COVID. Because I don't have my citizenship, I, unless they open up the borders for tourists, I can't go back and say goodbye. And the reason people don't know what that means to me is because I hated it. I'm not sure everyone truly understands what a love-hate relationship is. I hate it so much. But it's the only home I've known for that amount of time. It's where my motorcycle is, where I used to feel free. It's where the trees, stupid avocado trees. I used to pretend I was a singer and walk around whenever wind came. I was like Celine Dion. I would just sing in the backyard in, in our orchard. I mean, what a privilege. Our avocados came from, literally, you picked them off the ground. It's every millennial's dream. At a pool, everyone loved our house. Everyone loved all the parties were there. I I imagine it's what it feels like with family. I have an amazing family. I don't have a disconnect to it. So I imagine it's what people feel like when they do have a disconnect to their family. Their memories are with them. They love them, but they hate them. I don't know, I'm just, it's just conjecture. It's a very odd feeling. It's like whenever I realize that some of the pain has been because of me, the thing I love the most. I don't have a lack of confidence. As I said, I made myself home. Three years ago, I invited, well, I guess five now, five years ago, I invited someone in. I thought I was safe. I wasn't. I thought because I had had a very good experience before with my previous boyfriend he became home and when I lost him it was so hard that when I let the new person in I've always said it wasn't the physical harm that hurt it was the power anyone who's been with someone narcissistic knows that the voice inside your head it's when the bad thing is inside your home that's the hardest I grew up with it so I didn't notice it The fear that 
that is what becomes comfortable because it reminds you it's familiar As always, this is an extension of my therapy session. <laughs> I um, I hope everyone has a home that they feel safe in. I really do. I hope we can see other people and not make an assessment of what they may or may not have gone through because of what they look like or where they are now. And I hope nobody ever sees someone cry and thinks that it isn't anything except holding something in for too long. I hope no one has to feel true hatred towards something they're supposed to and on occasion love if you do if you know what I'm talking about I'm sorry virtual hugs also because like I don't let people touch me <laughs> that's too close I'm pretty sure at one point I promised I was going to have more positive ones uh, but this is uh, as my therapist says if I want to connect with people I need to trust and this is the safest one for me right now So, at the very least, I have found safety in my own podcast. And I hope you do too. Thank you for listening. This is the end of this season. The end of an era. Maybe the beginning. We'll see.